you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Hey friends, thanks for joining a podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called patreon.com slash BP show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. In the White House now, it is the Mooch and the Mogul. Yeah, Scaramucci and Donald Trump, two buds from Wall Street who talk the same language and tell the same lies. What do you say? Hello, everybody. What was your weekend like? Hope it was good. But we're into it now, into the new week here. Great to see you today. Thank you for joining us. It is the Bill Press Show on this Monday, July 24. Coming to you live from Washington, D.C., as always, with all the news of the day. And boy, there is a lot of it. It is a uh, going to be a very, very busy week uh, for the White House after one of the worst weeks of this entire uh, presidency so far. Uh, six months, there have been a lot of bad moments, a lot of bad weeks, a lot of rocky road, uh, none rockier than last week uh, where the president was supposed to be focusing on made in America, uh, and instead uh, we focused on uh, more Russian scandals, uh, focused on uh, health care falling apart, and then focusing on Friday with a total shakeup of the president's legal team and public relations team. The spice is out. Sarah Huckabee Sanders and Scaramucci are in. We'll get into all that. Look forward to uh, your comments, uh, your take on the news. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. What does it all mean to you? We'll get to that. Peter's out for a couple of days. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories for you on this Monday morning. We begin in San Diego. You ever, oh. heard, of, you ever heard of Comic-Con, Bill? Yeah. You know oh, Comic-Con yeah. Is? Oh, yeah. No, it's big. Huge. Huge event yeah. out in oh, San right. Diego. Some yes. big announcements for fans of superhero movies, notably over the weekend. We now know that there's going to be a Wonder Woman 2. We saw the trailer for the Justice League with Batman and Wonder Woman uh, however, uh, The Simpsons. The Simpsons made some headlines at Comic-Con over the weekend. Simpsons creator Matt Groening uh, was on a panel, and he started talking about how 21st Century Fox, which distributes their show, The Simpsons, had told the writers to go easier on Fox News after they made a joke about Fox News saying, quote, they're not racist, but number one with racists. Uh, mm. Matt Groening got so fired up about it that he went 
all the way and led the crowd in a chant against Donald Trump. They started with a lock em up uh, chant. At the Comic-Con? At, at San Diego Comic-Con, oh Matt God. Groening, creator of The Simpsons. Additionally, over the weekend, we found out from uh, one of the executive producers of The Simpsons that The Simpsons actually turned down Donald Trump uh, as a voiceover <laughs> guest on the show. No details about when that happened, yeah. but uh, Donald Trump apparently wanted to be on The Simpsons. They did not want to have him. Mm-hmm. So, uh, From the golf world over the weekend, it's a slow sports season, of course. July is the slowest sports month, uh, but a big golf championship, the British Open, Jordan Spieth uh, walked away with his third major title of the year. Uh, he didn't walk away easily, boy. He he deserved it after that incredible play. It, it, he had a near collapse, yeah, uh, reminiscent yeah. of uh, a couple years ago here. Uh, if he wins the PGA Championship uh, next month, he will become the youngest player to win all four majors. And you would think that Tiger is the other one that's that's won all four majors. No, it's actually... Jack Nicholas, mm-hmm. uh, so the the two greatest golfers, Jordan Spieth, is trying to oh, find Jordan Spieth, yeah, he, his he, own he, throne, he right? Hit a ball out of the out of the fairway, it ended up on on a, on top of a dune, and he had to take a drop, uh, yeah, like a mile away on the practice t- t- yeah practice field. Yeah, it was great. Uh, and finally, from the Great box comeback. office over the weekend, uh, number one is Dunkirk. Yeah, Dunkirk. did you see it? Did I haven't see... seen it yet. Did you see it? No, I didn't see it, but uh, I heard it was great. I'm excited. Uh, $50 million, second girl's trip, third Spider-Man, fourth war for the planet of the apes. Yeah. Now, I really want to see Dunkirk. Yeah. Those are fantastic movies. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Great to see you today. It is The Bill Press Show. Here we are on a big Monday, Monday, July 24, coming out of the weekend. Hope your weekend was a great one. Mine certainly was. It was hot as hell in Washington, D.C., but then a couple of rainstorms coming through yesterday that cooled everything down just a little bit. At any rate, great weekend to catch up with friends and family. Hope you had the same And this week is going to be an incredibly busy week on the news front, and we'll tell you all about it today. Uh, Yes, indeed, uh, last week, uh, the president, remember, they started out last week, was going to be all about Made in America week. Of course, they were not too eager to talk about Made in America at the White House uh, because uh, they didn't want to have to admit that everything that Donald Trump makes and sells, everything Ivanka Trump makes and sells, And everything Melania Trump makes and sells is made overseas, not in the United States. But it turned out they didn't have to talk about that at all because uh, nobody paid any attention to Made in America. All we ended up talking about last week, it was a bad week, probably the worst week in this Trump presidency so far. And the bar is very low. That is really saying something. But last week, instead of Made in America, uh, everybody was talking about the collapse, total collapse of the Republican health care plan. We're going to try to revive it again this week. Uh, everybody was talking about Donald Trump saying he should never have hired Jeff Sessions and wouldn't have hired him if he knew he might recuse himself someday. Uh, and then, of course, toward the end of the week, we have the total shakeup in the president's legal team. And the total shakeup in the president's communications team as well. 
Uh, all of that part of the uh, breaking news today, the big news today. And also, this is the week now. Um, oh, we have a new theme this week. The new theme this week is American Heroes. Yeah, that's what the president's going to be talking about. American Heroes. Of course, one American hero, John McCain, now diagnosed with a brain cancer, uh, is the man that Donald Trump mocked and said he did not respect and he did not consider him a hero because he was a prisoner of war uh, and Donald Trump likes people who are not prisoners of war. Yeah, so so much for, so much for celebrating American heroes. Uh, at any rate, this week I think uh, we're not going to hear much about American heroes either because we are going to hear about Jared Kushner and about Paul Manafort and about Donald Trump Jr. Jared Kushner is the breaking news of the day. Well, first of all, I got to tell you, yes, Donald Trump, he is out there tweeting this morning. Uh, he just tweeted just a few minutes ago, quote, drain the swamp should be changed to drain the sewer. It's actually much worse than anyone ever thought. And it begins with fake news. I mean, actually, it begins with you, Mr. President. You know, why doesn't he? Why doesn't he get some new ideas? Right, every day it's attacking fake news and attacking Hillary. And why doesn't Congress investigate Hillary? He tweeted this over the weekend. I mean, Mr. President, they did investigate Hillary. Like there were maybe fifteen public hearings on her emails. There was a total FBI investigation on her emails. And uh, while James and nobody, none of those investigations found anything illegal whatsoever. It's been done. It's over. And by the way, uh, we regret it. But you did win, Mr. President. So accept the fact that you won and stop trying to and stop stop rerunning, rerunning the last campaign. It's over, dude. Move on. Uh, as we were saying, uh, the man of the hour right now, the breaking news this morning is Jared Kushner, who will the son president's son-in-law. Uh, he will testify today behind closed doors to the Senate Intelligence Committee and the House Intelligence Committee. Uh, later in the week, it's still being worked out. It looks like Paul Manafort, former campaign chairman, and Donald Trump Jr., who organized that uh, June 6, June 9, 2016 uh, meeting with Russians at Trump Tower, will be testifying privately also in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee. But Kushner is out this morning. He released an 11-page statement this morning of what he intends to tell uh, his opening statement to the two intelligence committees. He will tell them that he had four meetings with Russian officials, four, one of which was a meeting with Donald Trump Jr., a couple of meetings with Ambassador Kislyak and one other, uh, these four meetings, of course, he said he had no more than four meetings. That was it. Uh, we we rem remind you that not, he disclosed initially in his uh, form uh, seeking uh, national security clearance. He cleared, he announced and revealed no one of those four meetings, not one of them. It was only later after the news stories came out that he um, revised his uh, his filing uh, and said that, oops, uh, he's new to this business. He didn't realize he had to report all of that kind of stuff. It's actually a felony to lie on those reports. At any rate, now he says, yes, there were four, uh, no more than four. 
And he says flat out he did not collude with the Russians in any of those meetings. He will also tell the two uh, committees that he didn't even know what the meetings were all about. And, of course, we know, though, that he was copied on the email from Donald Trump Jr., which said this meeting was all about Kremlin officials coming, Russian officials coming, and we know they had close ties to the Kremlin, with dirt on Hillary Clinton. Uh, if that's not collusion, we don't know what it, what, what is. Uh, it is certainly the intent to collude. Um, so Kushner is, is up today um, and behind, behind closed doors, may have to testify in public later, Donald Trump Jr. and uh, Paul Manafort coming later in the week before the Senate Judiciary Committee, probably also uh, in uh, private testimony, not out front. Uh, and then we get to the big shakeup on Friday with Sean Spicer. It was Sarah Huckabee Sanders who made the announcement. We, we know what happened. Uh, Sean Spicer, who has been, uh, uh, let's say it hasn't been the smoothest ride for, <laughs> for Sean Spicer uh, from the beginning. Uh, but what finally the straw, and he came out time after time and lied to the American people uh, on behalf of President Trump. Uh, he had had his problems before being undercut by Donald Trump. What finally was the red line that Sean Spicer would not cross was President Trump hiring a new communications director, Anthony Scaramucci, a guy who has, knows nothing about communications, has no background in communications, is a Goldman, former Goldman Sachs financier and hedge fund manager from New York, a big Wall Street guy, who's a big buddy with Donald Trump, uh, a big loudmouth, and Sean Spicer knew this guy was going to be a disaster, did not belong in the position of White House communications director. So uh, he and Spicer and Reince Priebus and Steve Bannon, believe it or not, all three of them reportedly uh, strongly, strongly opposed uh, the uh, Scaramucci's appointment talked to the president about it, tried to talk him out of it, told him this was a bad idea. Trump said, I'm going to do it anyway. And Spicer said, you've got my resignation. I'm not going to work with this dude because, because Scaramucci would have been Sean Spicer's boss. It was Sarah Huckabee Sanders at Friday's briefing, pardon me, who read us the statement from on, on Sean Spicer from Donald Trump. I'd like to read a statement from the president on the resignation of Press Secretary Sean Spicer. I'm grateful for Sean's work on behalf of my administration and the American people. I wish him continued success as he moves on to pursue new opportunities. Just look at his great television ratings. Uh, you know, that was that, <laughs> that was a real put down on the part of uh, Donald Trump. Uh, and it was the mooch himself. Sarah Huckabee Sanders turned the podium over to Scaramucci, who that's his nickname, Mooch. Um, and uh, the Mooch is loose <laughs> in the White House. Or again, as Maureen Dowd said yesterday, now the White House is, is uh, headed by the Mooch and the Mogul. Uh, at any rate, uh, it was the Mooch who said, we have a new press secretary. Sarah's going to be the press secretary, right? Okay, so congratulations to you, sir. And then the first thing that he said about Sarah Huckabee Sanders uh, on the Sunday shows yesterday, um, 
uh, Mooch says, uh, well, uh, let's just hope, well, uh, yeah, talk about what, what's the most important thing he can talk about with Sarah Huckabee Sanders, uh, her makeup and her hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what we, that's what we want, Sarah. I want to do everything I can to make her better at that podium. I think she's phenomenal there now. But like every athlete that's training for the Olympics, every day we got to make ourselves incrementally better. The only thing I ask Sarah, Sarah, if you're watching, I love the hair and makeup person that we had on Friday. So I'd like to continue to use the hair and makeup person. What a totally sexist remark. If I were Sarah Huckabee Sanders, I would have resigned when my new boss says, boy, what I really like about you, Sarah, no, it's not the answers you gave to the questions. It's not your knowledge of the issues. It's not your rapport with the press club, Sarah. Uh, it's your hair and makeup. Yeah, you look so pretty today, Sarah. Yeah, let's continue to have that same makeup artist. What a sexist pig at any rate. Yeah, just like the boss, just like his boss. Uh, I want to back up and talk a little bit about Sean Spicer because I was on CNN, no, MSNBC on Saturday, and people, everybody was saying, oh, you know, uh, Spicer, it was a tough job, uh, and he was put in an impossible job, and we got to feel sorry for him because the president was undercutting him, the president was criticizing him, uh, and, you know, the president would go off the rails every once in a while, and Spicer had to come back and kind of set things straight, as if we all got to feel sorry for, sorry for Sean Spicer. No freaking way. Let me tell you something. First of all, Sean Spicer took that job. He had both eyes open. He knew that Donald Trump was a wild card to say, to be polite. Um, he was a total out of control, egomaniacal, egomaniacal bore. Uh, um, he, yes. Yeah. And he knew what he was getting into. So he took the job. So don't feel sorry for him. Plus, I got to tell you, you know, I've been at the White House now under four press secretaries. Sean Spicer is way, way out, by far the worst of the four. I mean, just look at he. I believe that Sean Spicer, he didn't elevate the brief. He debased the briefings, and he embarrassed himself over the time that he was there, which was all of six months and one day, by the way. So we're going to remember Sean Spicer. We will remember Sean Spicer as the man who cut short the briefings um, to about maybe max 45 minutes who spent the first half of those 45 minutes every day reading talking points about how great Donald Trump was and all the incredible things he'd accomplished in the last 24 hours, and then spent the second half of the briefings just um, refusing to answer directly any questions. It was Sean Spicer who um, decided that uh, no cameras would be allowed in the briefing rooms, except maybe once a week. Uh, it was Sean Spicer, remember, who hid in the bushes one day and was afraid of talking to reporters. Uh, it was Sean Spicer who cut people off. Again, Sean Spicer. And Sean Spicer who told lie after lie after lie. Sean Spicer who lied about, uh, we'll, we'll get to a little montage here of Sean Spicer in just a minute, but Sean Spicer who lied about the size of the crowd at the inauguration, lied about the fact they had never used plastic sheeting on the on the Washington Mall and any other inauguration. Uh, he defended Donald Trump's statement that President Obama wiretapped Trump Tower, by the way, which is still not proven, which is still hanging out there. Uh, he He's the guy who um, uh, def de defended the uh, meetings 
that a meeting that Donald Trump Jr. had and insisted that Donald Trump Jr. Uh, at that meeting, all they talked about was adoption. And remember, it was Do- uh, Sean Spicer who said, of course, we had to attack, we had to send those uh, cruise missiles into Syria because not even Hitler, as bad as he was, ever used any chemical weapons. Yeah, this was all Sean Spicer. So, um, yeah, let's not feel sorry for, sorry for uh, Sean Spicer. Here is, um, do we have that little, little this is, a, and of course, Sean Spicer made a mockery of the briefings, not just on Saturday Night Live, but uh, um, certainly became a national cartoon character uh, because of the way he handled the briefings. Uh, Sean Spicer going in the Wayback Machine. Here he was over the last six months. How are you today? I'm fine, and how are you? Fantastic. This was the largest audience to ever witness an inauguration Period. There's this assumption in Washington, Jonathan, that if you get less money, it's a cut. And I think that the reality is, is that in a lot of these, there's efficiencies, duplicity. Glenn, this isn't a TV what program. We're going to Shannon. I, okay, you don't get to just yell out questions. We're going to raise our hand like big boys and girls. Go, Glenn Thrush, New York Times. Boo. Go ahead. <laughs> That's a cute question to ask. My job is to represent the president. I, I think there's pretty sound evidence that has been that the microwave is is not a sound way of surveilling someone. <laughs> you used chemical weapons in World War II. You know, you had a you know, someone as despicable as Hitler who didn't even sink to the to the to using chemical weapons. Hey, Sean. Right here. Uh, so you can keep taking your selfies and selfie you folks. Um, <laughs> I forgot that one. That was when he turned around and walked out, and we were all hollering. You can hear my voice in there. Sean! Sean! Come back! Come back! Hey, Sean! Oh, 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 I, I would say that Sean Spicer might have gone down as the worst White House press secretary ever, except for one fact. Sarah Huckabee Sanders took his place. And she will definitely be the worst ever. I mean, Sean Spicer, who lied so much that we called him four Pinocchios. Uh, <laughs> that's the Washington Post little cartoon they use for, for liars. You get a Pinocchio, you would tell a real fat lie. It's four Pinocchios. He's four Pinocchio press secretary. Uh, but he was still a pro. You know, Sarah Huckabee Sanders is a know-nothing amateur with a chip on her shoulder. You know, before we move on from beating down on Sean Spicer to beating down on Sarah Sanders, uh, I want to just read this passage from the Wall Street Journal report on Sean Spicer's tenure as press secretary. We shared this yesterday uh, as we were preparing for today's show. Yes. uh, About the fridge. (laughs) Oh, yes, the fridge. So I'm reading right from the Wall Street Journal. (laughs) Michael C. Bender uh, had this piece on Friday. uh, Quote, less than a month into his new job, White House press secretary Sean Spicer needed to keep his food and drink cold. He wanted Mm -hmm. a mini fridge. He dispatched a top aide to a nearby executive office building where junior research employees are crammed into a room, surviving on lean cuisine frozen lunches. Mr. Spicer wants your icebox, the aide said, according to people familiar with the incident. They refused to give it up. So Mr. Spicer waited until sundown after his young staffers had left to take matters into his own hands. He was spotted by a fellow White House official lugging the icebox down the White House driveway after 8 p.m. Pretty similar to hiding in the bushes. Right. Yeah, exactly. So they were in the old executive office building next door, 
and he's across that little executive drive, and it's all in the mini fridge. So he even had to steal his employees' mini fridge. This is Sean Spicer. Again, Sarah Huckabee Sanders taking his place. And then uh, we got to stop for a second just to talk about Anthony Scaramucci. This is a ticking time. Well, it's actually not a ticking time. He's exploding in front of our very eyes. Again, uh, there's so much wrong with this. Number one. The guy knows nothing about, has no background in communications, no background in journalism, no background in dealing with the press, no back. He's been on television a lot. That doesn't count. So totally unqualified for this job. He's put in charge of the communications department. But think about the optics. Who is he? What is he? He is another Donald Trump. He is a Long Island huckster, right? Worked for Goldman Sachs, made a lot of money, started his own hedge fund, was a big hedge fund manager who is dying to get a job in the White House. So here you have the billionaire president surrounding himself with yet again another guy from Goldman Sachs in addition to Munchen and to, and to Gary Cohn and to Steve Bannon and God knows how many others, another Goldman Sachs guy, another billionaire New York Wall Street tycoon uh, in a a top position at the White House. The optics could not be worse for somebody who pretends to care about average Americans surrounding himself with people like himself and like his daughter and his son-in-law who have no idea what it's like to have to wait for that paycheck every two weeks in order to buy groceries or to pay the rent. Uh, So... Optics are number and number two. This is a guy who's who was anti Donald Trump until the very very end. He started out support big supporter of Mitt Romney a few years ago, and not Donald Trump. Then a big supporter of this time around of um, the governor of uh, of Wisconsin, Scott Walker. Scott Walker, sorry, Mr. Brown Bag Lunch, little brain fart there. Yes, Scott Walker. And when Scott Walker dropped out, then he supported Jeb Bush and famously called Donald Trump a hack politician. Here he is on Fox Business back in uh, August of 2015. He's a hack politician. Uh, He's probably going to make Elizabeth Warren his vice presidential nominee with comments like that. Do you think he's a It's anti-American. It's very, very divisive. You think Donald's a plant? I'll tell you who he's going to be president of. You can tell Donald I said this. The Queens County Bullies Association. (laughs) You got to cut it out now. (laughs) He's president of the Queens County Bullies Association. Hack politician. Yeah. Uh, There's one more, by the way. Yeah. Okay. I don't like the way he talks about women. I don't like the way he talks about our friend Megyn Kelly. And you know what? The politicians don't want to go at Trump because he's got a big mouth and he's afraid he's going to light him up on Fox News and all these other places. But I'm not a politician. Bring it. Right, so why is he, why is he you're, resonating? You're an inherited he money dude from Queens County. Bring it, Donald. <laughs> he also, bring it. Bring it, Donald. He also said, quote about Donald Trump, quote, America deserves better. Oh, my bring God. Bring it, Donald. Do- he got that one right. And then but now that he's got the job, so Friday, it was so sickening. I, I don't know, maybe twenty times he was talking directly, he did this on the Sunday shows yesterday too, directly to Donald Trump, looking into the camera and saying, Mr. President, 
I love you. I love you. He actually said that. I love the president. I love the president. Here he is abjectly apologizing at the briefing to the president of the United States for having called him a hack. One of the biggest mistakes that I made, because I was an unexperienced person in the world of politics, I was supporting another candidate, I should have never said that about him. So, Mr. President, if you're listening, I personally apologize for the 50th time for saying that. Mm. Sickening, sickening. That's not the press secretary's job. Uh, That's not the communication director's job. Uh, No, indeed. I'm telling you, this is going to be a disaster. Uh, I don't know how long we'll give him on the job. But the shakeup in the communications department was not the only shakeup at the White House. The president also changed lawyers. Uh, yes, remember, uh, it was Mark Kasowitz who was brought in to deal with the whole Russian de- uh, uh, Russian mess, as President Trump calls it. Uh, so Sean Spicer was not going to have to answer those questions, or Sarah Huckabee Sanders. It was all going to be Mark Kasowitz, and he had his spokesperson, Mark Carallo, uh, one M-A-R-C, one M-A-R-K, the two Marks. Uh, both of them are out. Mark Kasowitz has been replaced by uh, a Washington uh, pro uh, defense lawyer by the name of Ty Cobb. Uh, Mark Carallo, the spokesperson for Mark Kasowitz, the two of them resigned uh, on uh, the end of last week. Uh, Ty Cobb comes in, and Jay Sekulow, who's been around for a while, will also stay on the president's legal team. But the shake that shakeup in the legal department is not as significant as this fact, and I think you know this is a this is a question of maybe you don't see the forest for the trees. But the real question in the legal department is not who's in and who's out. I think the significance here is that the president is so worried. Think about this: he is so worried about Robert Mueller's investigation. He is so worried about what Mueller is going to find out once he gets in his tax returns and his financial records and his long history of business deals with Russia, which he denies. He's so worried about that that he feels the need to lawyer up and up and up and is hiring. They all, they all are hiring lawyers to protect themselves because they see what's coming down the track, which means, tells me, that there's more to this Russian story than Donald Trump uh, will ever admit. There's more to this Russian story than he wants us to believe. It is not a witch hunt. He knows that. It is for real. There's some real dirt there. He knows Robert Mueller's going to find it. He knows it's coming down the track, and he feels he needs those lawyers to protect him. And bottom line, the change in the communications department and the changes in the legal in the legal representation in the end aren't going to change anything at the White House because the problem at the White House, as we know, is not the staffers. The problem at the White House is the very top itself. Nothing is going to change at this White House. It will still be totally out of whack, out of control, flying blindly as long as Donald Trump is president of the United States, which hopefully won't be that much longer. Coming up, we got a great set of guests for you today. Eliza Collins is going to join us next from USA Today. Niall Stanage will be here for our second hour as a friend of Bill from The Hill. And he and I will be joined by uh, our good friend Joe Cirincioni from the Plowshares Fund, who just got back from Aspen. 
where the Aspen Institute, uh, the intelli former intelligence agencies of this country, all, absolutely all of them united in saying there's no doubt that Russia hacked into our elections, no matter what Donald Trump says. Eliza Collins joining us next. What's happening this week in the Congress? We'll find out. The Navy SEALs would tell you that if you want to eat an elephant, you got to eat it one bite at a time. And Sarah and I are going to do that together. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is The Bill Press Show. Here we go now on a Monday, July 24, the Bill Press Show. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the program, or welcome back. Coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., and our studio right here on Capitol Hill, where we're brought to you today by the American Federation of Teachers, our great teachers of America, enjoying a little summer break, of course, but they're never really on vacation, always preparing um, the next year's classes. We uh, they uh, salute their good work, thank them for the support of the program under the leadership of President Randy Weingarten. So Congress comes back in session. Uh, they've uh, they, with a lot on their plate this week. Uh, Mitch McConnell determined that he's going to get a vote to proceed with debate on the health care legislation. And it looks like a big sanctions bill uh, that President Trump did not want to see on his desk may end up on his desk. Eliza Collins covers Congress for USA Today. Joining us uh, in studio this morning. Hello, Eliza. Nice to see you. Hello. Good to be Have here. Have a good weekend? I did. Good. Yeah. yeah. We had a little, little storm cooling things down in Washington, right? There was right? a crazy lightning storm on I know. Saturday night. Yeah. I know. We were driving right in the <laughs> middle of it. It was oh, pretty, it was pretty, it was pretty hairy, right? So uh, let's talk about health care. Uh, so, you know, they had the first Senate bill, couldn't get 50 votes for it. The second Senate bill, they couldn't get 50 votes for it. Then Mitch McConnell says, well, just we'll just do, forget about repeal and replace. We're just going to repeal. And it looks like they couldn't get 50 votes for that. So now where are they and what's next? This is such an interesting situation. Um, so last week, you're right, Monday they had the bill they'd been working on. That sank because Jerry Moran and Mike Lee, who are two conservative lawmakers, basically added to two who had said the week before they were against it, making yeah. it four can only have two for the bill to pass. That sinks Trump. His new thing is let's repeal it, then replace later. Mitch McConnell's like, okay, let's do it. Then three women, uh, Murkowski, Collins, and Capito, who are all fairly moderate, were like, that's not going to work. We're yeah. going to replace yeah. it at the same right. time. <laughs> so then Mitch McConnell did something really interesting and basically said, okay, we're just still going to have a vote. And and last, Today, tomorrow, when? So this was last week. The vote is could be tomorrow, could be sometime this week. We're not sure. It's really vague. And we were out there on Friday, or Thursday, I guess was their last day, talking to these lawmakers who were supposed to vote on this massive piece of legislation this week. And I talked to, or I was in scrums, which is basically like when a bunch of reporters yeah, yeah. swarm someone, with at least a dozen senators, and no one knew what they were going to vote on. They didn't know if they were going to vote on just the repeal or the repeal and replace. And they were all pretty on. I mean, I think no, I wasn't in this one, but John Cornyn was like, yeah, we don't have the luxury of knowing. It's like 
This is something you're you are voting on the record on for millions and millions of people, and you don't know what right. you're voting on in four days. We ha- yeah, which would impact one fifth of the American economy. Uh, and they're going to do this without any hearing and without knowing what they're voting on. Right. And I think the thing, the thought is that at this point it is pretty tanked. One has four vocally against it. One has three. And that doesn't include the 10 or so other people who have said, we have a lot of concerns. We're not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so it might just be like, let's get something. Let's say we voted on it and we can say, look, President Trump, we gave it our best shot. Let's move on. But no one can really figure this out because Mitch McConnell is pretty calculating and it would be strange for him to bring something he knows will fail so miserably and make people take such a tough vote when... Of course, he he says he's going to do it. He hasn't done it yet. And we don't know. I mean, this could really be tomorrow that it's at least brought up for a debate and we have no idea. To the extent that we do know anything um, and he um, does call for a vote, what we've heard is that he wants him to vote on a motion to proceed. Yes. Um, so that would open the debate. In other words, we'll get it. To, we'll, we'll start the debate on the floor. And Mitch McConnell is saying, like, at, at, trying to tell them at that. So the motion to proceed is harmless. Right. All you're doing is allowing us to debate the bill or the issue, right? Right. 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 And once that happens. Then anybody can make any amendments they want, and it could go, the bill could go this way or it could go that way. But at least we'll be. But that's really a trap, isn't it? Right. So it's, I mean, some people that, see it as a trap. Yes. I certainly Even see it Repu- as a trap. There are some Republicans who are like, "Look, if we vote for motion proceed, this is basically done," because there are a lot of different things you can do. Yes, it's unlimited amendments, but I think that they only get two minutes per amendment to talk about them. Um, there are all these different kind of things to make sure that, yeah, you can talk about this bill all you want, but in the end, it'll be some version very similar to the to, bill. Right. That, it's not like Democrats are going to get to come in and swoop this bill and change it within the, their two minutes and of make it, debate and make it Medicare for all or anything like right. that. Right? No, no. So that and that's something Republicans are saying. So some Republicans are saying, no, I'm not even going to vote for that measure to proceed right. because. Uh, that will be that could be like read as I ended up yeah voting right. for the and bill. especially if the bill never does get actually voted on, I think that it's kind of convoluted enough at this point that voting for the motion to proceed they're sort of tagged as voting yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, from USA Today, USA Today dot com, Eliza Collins here with us. So Eliza, isn't it true? I mean, I get the feeling. You, so you've been in these scrums. You talked to them. You talked to fourteen senators on Friday or Thursday. Um, aren't they kind of getting sick of dealing with this? I mean, isn't there a feeling, let's just move on, just just accept the fact that health care didn't work and now let's do something we can get our teeth into, like tax reform or infrastructure? I definitely, th- I think there's a real level of exhaustion. And this is something the Senate has more so than the House. I covered <laughs> this fight over on the House side. And the House is a little bit more, especially House Republicans, like the Freedom Caucus, the far right guys, they're a little bit more persuadable by Trump. The Senate is like when Trump tweets at them, whatever he tweeted yesterday, Republicans have failed me. They should I carry them on my back. They should be covering for me or something like that. Senate is like, stop. They have no they are like, we have this. Please step back. And so the fact that he keeps kind of trying to do that. Yeah, he he tweaks them, but he. Basically threatens them. 
Right. Well, right? last week he had Isn't all it? of the yeah. senators, and he's sitting next to Dean Heller, who's the most vulnerable. The Senate Republican senators have a really good map in 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dean Heller is the one person that really could. There's a Jeff Flake could also, but yeah. Dean Heller is Nevada. It's a state Hillary won. It is changing demographics. He, I think he won by like one point last time. I mean, he is really actually in danger, and he is someone who's been really hesitant on this bill. And Donald Trump is sitting next to him, and he's like, Dean's going to vote for it. He wants yeah. to be a senator, and Dean, like, uh, yeah. laughs. Right. And it was everyone was kind of like, that was really... Yeah, yeah. So I think... And in his tweets, he threatens him. Right. And then he, then he complains about, they're not doing enough to protect the president. Protect, right. And I think senators are like, we're not here to protect you. So there's a real level of frustration with the White House, the exhaustion. And then also, there are these kind of, at this point, underground conversations about... Okay, this bill will fail. How do we work with Democrats? And you're seeing Lindsey Graham and Bill Cassidy came out with this bill that they think they can get some moderate Democrats on, and they're reaching out. They're saying, "Look, we're not going to do anything serious yet." A healthcare have bill. Mm-hmm. And Joe Manchin. Is it a fix Obamacare bill? It is a. It is a separate bill, but it's int- basically the theory with them is they keep the Obamacare taxes, which is interesting because that's a big thing Republicans don't like. So they keep almost all of the Republican tax or the Obamacare taxes, but instead of using that money for Obamacare, they send it to states individually. And the state, if the state likes Obamacare, they can keep Obamacare. If the state doesn't like Obamacare, they can make their own program. So the theory is the Republican back to the states idea is there. They think they can get some moderate Democrats on board because, in theory, it could be fixing it. It could be keeping it. Uh, who knows if that's going <laughs> to go over well. But there are starting to be conversations like that with some moderate Democrats, like someone like Joe Manchin of West Virginia, who is really very in the middle on his views but will not vote for a bill that has repeal in it. Mm-hmm. So they're saying, like, okay, well, what about something like this? Joe Manchin's also invited, I think there's like a dozen senators who used to be governors. They're starting to talk and they're like, well, we know what it was like to have to run a state. So these conversations are all happening, but no one is going to move until this vote this week. Does McConnell really want a health care bill? I don't know. I mean, this health care bill is wildly unpopular. So... Yeah. You know, but they campaigned on it for seven years. You know, the, the cliche is, but but happens to be true, um, they're going to own it. They're going to own it. Once they pass this bill, they own it. You know, Donald Trump says, "We're not. Gonna, I'm not going to own it. Oh, yes, you are, baby. Right. Yeah, and no that doubt is about it. And they're going to own it in 2018 when these these cuts start to hit and 22 million Americans wake up and the health insurance they've got. They either don't have it or it's worthless. And Republicans are pretty open about this, especially their staff privately, you know, with reporters saying it's really hard. Yes, the system is flawed. Yes, da, 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 but it is really hard to take things away from people. And we are very aware that we will own this. And Democrats, on the other hand, are like, as much as they don't like this bill, they're kind of like, we got slammed for seven years on Obamacare. It hurt okay. us in the majorities. And now take it. Yeah. You have it. Oh, no. No. I mean, it, it costs Democrats the House, right. probably. And so they're saying, you know, if you really pull this off, well, you'll, it'll hurt you'll you. will pay the price. Now, um, McConnell originally said uh, he was going to postpone the vote for a week uh, so that John McCain could come back. 
uh, that's when we thought that he had a minor surgery to right. remove a blood clot. Now we know it's a lot more serious. Uh, he's still going ahead with a vote without McCain, or th- are we expecting McCain to make some dramatic medevac kind of appearance? Uh, we do not know kind of what's going on with McCain. Basically, he has, in typical McCain form, still been speaking out from his home in Arizona, resting, figuring out what to move forward. I mean, remember, John McCain is 80 years old. so, um, But he's still kind of deciding how to move forward with this cancer. We have no idea where he stands, but he is weighing in on, like, foreign policy things. He still was able to slam the Trump administration um, some foreign policy moves they've made. So he's still very much involved. The Senate requires you to vote in person. It's still a very traditional yeah, place. You can't phone it in. <laughs> exactly. And so, which actually is something interesting. You know, a lot of people don't. They're kind of like, well, can't someone, like, yeah, vote for it? Yeah. So, no, you can. I mean, in the House, you can't either. Right. I mean, you have to be there. Right. right. There's still there's, some there's, very at least there's that, traditional right? rules. Yeah. So John McCain being out, he, was, he had a lot of criticisms of the process. But he was expected to vote for the bill. He's kind of a reliable and something like this domestic policy, our vote along with the party. So with him being gone, that is one less yes, which means really Republicans can only lose one vote. And of course, they have more than that. Right. Um, so that's the story on health care. We will see. It's got to play out. No vote has actually been scheduled. Right. 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 Um, we'll know a lot more today, I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, the other issue that has uh, that appears looming this week uh, is the sanctions bill. Uh, as we know, the president has wanted uh, to have a little flexibility dealing with Russia, and um, there are some voices. And even Donald Trump, 2016, was very critical of the Russian sanctions that President Obama had put on, and he was going to lift those, or at least right. at least he wanted the ability to have some leverage with those, with those sanctions. Um, the, and then all the news comes out about the Russian hacking the election. And so Congress is saying, well, the last thing we want to do is lift those sanctions, right? right. So they, they, they've passed a pretty tough bill. Right. And this is one issue I would, I would argue is actually a very bipartisan thing. And it's hilarious that Congress has not really done anything. They have, you know, Republicans in the House, Senate and White House, no major legislation has moved through. And the right. one major piece of legislation is law ma- bipartisan, kind of against the president here. There's Congress is saying it was a bill just on Iran sanctions. And McCain and I, some Democrats negotiated to get something of, on Russian sanctions on this bill. And basically it says we can overrule you. You know, President Trump, if you want to lift sanctions, we have the right to say that's not a good idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was voted on 98 to 2. And the two that voted against it, Rand Paul and was it Bernie Sanders? I believe. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I wasn't. I was never sure. I think, really. No, yeah. Don't quote me on those two. Okay. But I do believe it was kind of you know people that might not vote on something like that. Yeah, ninety-eight to two is a massive deal. And I've had a lot of Democrats say, "Look, you can say that we're having you know these battle lines with Republicans, but this needs to be getting attention because we really pulled this off together." But it was muddled. So passed the Senate very easily moved on to the House, and got stuck there. The White House was lobbying them to change it. Oil companies were saying, look, this will hurt our business. Republicans were blaming Democrats. There was It was a mess. So over the weekend, they all came together and basically agreed, which is a big deal. Yeah, to say, we don't care, uh, Mr. President, you may want to play footsie with uh, Vladimir Putin, but we don't like him. 
and we don't like what he did to our democratic system during the election, and we're going to um, make it um, the sanctions tougher and make it tougher for any president to undo them. Right, exactly. And it is any president. And it's not like that in there they said, you know, just you specifically because of your relationship with Putin. It's it's any president moving forward. But, uh, yeah, and it's, it, it's, it's interesting that, you know, President Obama had the power, and he was, he did unilaterally, uh, ease the sanctions on Iran in order to get them to sign the nuclear deal. In return for signing right. the nuclear deal, can ease the sanctions. President Obama had that. And he was criticized for had that. that. He was criticized that by Donald Trump, among right. others, a candidate. But at least Obama had that authority. This Republican Congress is taking that same authority away from the Republican president. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's just on Russia, right? It's not... Unilaterally, I believe all so. Although North Korea, according to one version of the bill, is in and one is out. I'm not really sure right. where North, so North two, Korea the, may be in there too. The bills but. are different, and then they kind of had to come together on like an agreement bill. So right, and it happened over the weekend or at the end of last week. So we don't know the exact details, but it's expected that it'll have those big powers overall. Right, and again, uh, the White House made it clear they don't want this bill, they don't like this bill. That and yesterday on the talk shows. This new unified communications team, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders and Anthony Scaramucci, appeared on different networks and gave an entirely different message. Here was uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders saying um, that, uh, yeah, we we really like these tougher sanctions. Look, the the administration is supportive of being tough on Russia, particularly uh, in putting these sanctions in place. Uh, and Scaramucci, I'm not even sure we have that clip, but Scaramucci on another network said just the opposite, saying uh, the president hasn't decided yet what he would do about and, this bill. Now, and, and to make it further complicated, the New York Times today headlines, Trump in switch seems to accept the Russia sanctions. So they're reporting inside the White that House is that Trump realizes well, it's a he, tough I mean, choice for him. He either has to veto this bill right, passed by his Republican 98 Congress senators. and the senators, 98 senators, or sign the bill and say, right. okay, I, I'll go along with it. I think this is one of those things you see them, you know. He'll he, sign the bill. And then maybe in a couple months he'll go crazy on Twitter about it. But I think <laughs> you have to, he has to sign this bill. He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to. But right. it is one of those things where it raises a lot of questions if he doesn't. I, I want to go back to underscore the point you made, which I think is a, a very good one, is that it will be um, it, it will be stunning if, in fact, the first major legislation, major legislation passed by this Congress is a bill that takes power away from the Republican president of the United States, right. is a bill that he does not want. Right. And this is something Republicans That says feel- a lot about how effective he is. And about his relationship with Congress. And this is something Republicans really, I mean, Republicans that are kind of party line guys, Bob Corker, um, he is not someone you'd expect to like go rogue on things. And he was for the last weeks, anytime we go to talk to him about health care, he talks, we need to get this Russia bill passed. This is something. So at least in the Senate, which is where I've been spending a lot of my time because of health care, that was something that they felt very strongly about. You know, one 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 question, um, which maybe relates more to health care than any other issues, is, is that, uh, just listening to you, I keep thinking about 
Mike Pence and what role he's been playing. He's the guy now, you know, President Obama chose Joe Biden as his vice presidential nominee and vice president because he had this great working relationship with members of both parties and was really respected. And he sent Joe Biden up there time and time right. again. And Joe Biden delivered the goods. Right. Well, and that's the whole thing. Obama did not have the best relationship right. with members on both sides. That's and right. Biden, Biden was did. Now, the Donald Trump over. keeps sending Mike Pence up there to deliver on health care. Last week after they had this comes lunch. It, yeah, he comes every here, week. Uh, uh, yeah. Last week after he had no health care, he sent, he sent him back up there again. Here he is. It's time to vote. It's, it's time to act. <coughs> Mike Pence, you know, with that message, he hasn't delivered. Yes, you're right. But I would argue still that Pence is still kind of that Biden role and fairly successful. He really helped in the House. I was traveling with Mark Meadows, who's one of the guys that stopped yeah, the bill. Yeah. Uh, and we were there and Pence called Meadows like half a dozen times over the we were at like a high school. Meadows was talking and Mike Pence kept calling. So I would argue he was very effective in the House. I think that this is just such a hard issue. I do wonder, had it been something else, Pence might have more power. Um, they, they certainly respect, respect him. They do respect they him. Like him. They listen to him. I think they like him. But, you know, they know that um, he's Donald Trump's vice president, right. I guess. And I think, and with Trump, it is harder because Pence can say one thing and then Trump can say another. Whereas I think you always felt Biden and Obama were on the same page. Mm-hmm. Even if they weren't, you know, privately, they were by what Biden said met was from the Obama administration. Whereas I think that Pence might make some promise and then Trump goes and says, let's repeal only. Yeah. Eliza Collins with us from USA Today. So um, there's a big story, I think, with Glenn Thrush, uh, the story in The New York Times a couple of days ago that, you know, one of the main. OK, I'm going to we're going to build a wall. We know that that was a big part of Donald Trump's campaign. Of course, uh, we're going to tear apart Paris. We're going to tear apart the Iran nuclear deal. And we're going to have a trillion-dollar infrastructure plan to create millions of jobs rebuilding America's infrastructure. There's nothing going on on infrastructure. And why not? I mean, this is this is a win-win-win for Republicans, right. Democrats, for Donald Trump. If he wanted a huge bill where he could get everybody together in the Rose Garden. You know, Nancy Pelosi on one side and Paul Ryan on the other, Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer. This, this been, is this. Yeah. Why aren't they doing anything on this? I think in there Plus, is... Plus, God knows we need it. Our you know, roads right. and bridges crumbling. I think there is a lot of um, regret in the order they did things. I think they thought Obamacare <laughs> repeal would be a lot easier. Let's get that done first. That's a big, you know, yeah. check. Check the box. We'll move right. on to tax reform, infrastructure. Remember the plan? It was like. Oh, yeah. Day one, we're going to repeal right. Obamacare. And then they'll have four years to go. Maybe they were going to come in for a special day before he was inaugurated just for a quick repeal. Yeah. Um, yeah. That didn't work out. So I do think there is some like, had they done infrastructure first, built some goodwill up, things like that. Because remember when he was elected, a lot of those Democrats from states he had won by, you know, 20, 30, 40 points were like, I'll work with him on infrastructure. That is something that is Absolutely. Chuck Schumer said that. Now we're watching. I mean, I just think to show how unpopular this bill is, look at Joe Manchin, who is from a state that Trump won by 42 points. And Joe Manchin is like, I'm not touching that bill. <laughs> and that yeah. to me says Democrats are so comfortable in opposing him. And I wonder if that's just the order of how things happened. Yeah. I mean, looking back, 
what it would be like if they had taken infrastructure up first. Yeah. It might have been better relationships all around. All around, yeah. Eliza Collins, thanks for all the good work that you Thank do. Thank you. Thanks for coming in. Big shakeup at the White House. Niall Standage is there every day. He'll tell us all about this it. Joining us is next. the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. I did not collude with any foreign government. That's what Jared Kushner says he's going to tell the House Intelligence and Senate Intelligence Committees today. Released his uh, statement this morning to try to get a little uh, jump up on the news. If you believe him, that's Jared Kushner's uh, statement. And we'll hear later, in the, or the committees will hear, uh, at least one of the committees, Senate Judiciary Committee, will hear later in the week behind closed doors also from Donald Trump Jr. and Paul Manafort. Hello, everybody. What do you say? It is a typical day in Washington, D.C., I guess, uh, with another uh, bad week looming for the uh, Trump White House. We're coming to you live from Washington, D.C. We will tell you all about it. Last week, of course, a big shakeup in the communications department, the shakeup in the legal department, the collapse of the health care bill, all around, uh, a pretty good week to talk about Made in America. This week, the theme is going to be American heroes. Here's one of our heroes, Niall Stanish from the Hill. <laughs> so, how much? Well, he's time... an import, though. Well, that's true. Yes, can't call you an American hero, can we? <laughs> People will be ready in to complain if you use that term, although maybe not among your listenership, well, but others. So, so Niall, uh, how much time are we going to be? Are we going to spend this week actually talking about? American hero. There's been a great series of these things, hasn't there? <laughs> oh, these yes, themed right. weeks. There was Infrastructure Week. Oh, Infrastructure Week was a huge success. There was yeah. Made right. in America Week. There was yeah. some. There were a number of weeks that yeah. were all completely overtaken and submerged by many greater controversies. Some of them self-inflicted by the president uh, himself. Yes, right. So I think we can expect that to happen again this time. We will dive into all of these big issues with Niall Standish and with all of you and send us your comments on Twitter at BP show. But first, this is Peter the full Al, court Jamie press. gets the full court here. Just a couple of other stories for you on this Monday morning. We will begin with America's sweatiest cities list of 2017. Yes, this is an actual study. Sweatiest cities? Put, put sweatiest cities. Where people the most sweat, sweat the most? That's correct. Oh, okay. Uh, put together by a fan company, All no right. doubt. Uh, Honeywell fans put this together. They do this every year, in fact. I had no idea, but it caught my eye this morning. Uh, any guesses uh, what the top U.S. city, the sweatiest city in the U.S. is? Uh, it's got to be in Florida. Uh, Florida, there is a Florida city on the list. In fact, Miami is at number four, but that is not number one. Tampa's uh, at eight. Can I randomly guess Memphis? Memphis does not crack the top ten. Oh, no. I'll give you a hint. Uh, the top 
two uh, are in, in on the East Coast, Mid-Atlantic region. Well, is one of them D.C.? One of them is D.C. D.C. comes in at number two mm. because of its average summer tw- uh, temperature and top 24 population density, also public transportation. Number one is New York City. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think the big uh, factor there is the population density with oh, yeah, NYC. Well, right, yeah. More people and... Right. Chicago is also uh, number three. I said Miami <laughs> four and Boston, Massachusetts at number five. Uh, hey, on Friday, I bet you didn't hear about this. Chris- I don't want to know how they determine Sweatiest. how many people are sweating. I mean, are they pretty, checking armpits? What is this? Pretty, pretty gross. There's a number of factors as far as I understand. <laughs> yeah, I, TMI. Yeah. <laughs> On Friday, Chris Christie, governor, still governor of New Jersey, uh, (laughs) believe it or not, uh, signed a bill on Friday that will raise the smoking age. He came off the beach to sign a bill. Believe it or not. (laughs) He got his fat fat ass off the beach. This this is, in fact, a bill that he opposed in the past. No word on what made him change his mind, but the governor has raised the smoking age in New Jersey from 19 to 21. Hmm. New Jersey, not uh, typically known as a health-conscious state. Uh, This means that New Jersey joins only two other states in the country that have raised the smoking age to 21. Bill, California is one of them. Hawaii is the other. So I guess good for Chris Christie. I think raising the smoking age is a is a smart decision there. Uh, No, I think that's a good move. But I'll bet you if you did a study of the smokiest states that New Jersey would be up there, way up there. Well, the most polluted, at least, generally. No, I mean just more people, yeah, more people smoking. Yeah. In fact, including young people. So Chris Christie can help. From Washington, D.C., this is The Bill Press Show. Hey, what do you say, folks, on uh, Monday, July 24? Hello, hello. Great to see you today. And thanks for climbing on board the Bill Press Express as we um, rush out to you from our nation's capital to join you coast to coast all over this great land of ours on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show, all part of the Young Turks Network uh, on Free Speech TV and in Chicago area, joining you on WCPT. Check out our podcast as well. You can uh, uh, hear the entire program or any part of the program you want all day long. If I go back and listen to some earlier shows on our podcast at uh, YouTube. I mean, I'm sorry, BillPressShow.com on our website, BillPressShow.com, or on iTunes or wherever you do find your favorite podcast. Now, Stanage joining us here from uh, the uh, the Hill, columnist, White House columnist for the Hill, and. uh, now you are good to see you. And you, you are there almost every day at the briefings. I see you once in a while, and when mm-hmm. I get there myself, um, and uh, we have a lot of new faces now that we're going to be seeing in the White House briefing room. At least two of them, uh, and Sean Spicer no longer. So I want to start with uh, our little playback of our Sean Spicer tribute today. Jamie Benson put this together. Here is Sean Spicer. Uh, as we've come to know and love him over the last six months. How are you today? I'm fine, and how are you? Fantastic. This was the largest audience to ever witness an inauguration, period. There's this assumption in Washington, Jonathan, that if you get less money, it's a cut. 
And I think that the reality is, is that in a lot of these, there's efficiencies, duplicity. Glenn, this isn't a TV what program. We're going to follow. Shannon, I, okay, you don't get to just yell out questions. We're going to raise our hand like big boys and girls. Go, Glenn Thrush, New York Times, boo, go ahead. That's a cute question to ask. My job is to represent the president. I, I think there's pretty sound evidence that has been that the microwave is, is not a sound way of surveilling someone. You used chemical weapons in World War II. You know, you had a you know, someone as despicable as Hitler who didn't even sink to the to the to using chemical weapons. Hey Sean right here. Uh, so you can keep taking your selfies and selfie folks. Um, Yep. Uh, I'm right here, he says. That was a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> Not anymore. Not anymore. Uh, should we feel sorry for Sean Spicer? Um, I don't feel particularly sorry for him, honestly. I mean, it's on one hand, he had an impossible job, I think. And I think it's a very difficult job to represent Donald Trump as president because he's always going to issue tweets and peculiar statements that will undercut a communications strategy. On the other hand, uh, he knew that going in. Uh, nobody, had job. A, nobody had a gun to his head, you know, so it's a, it's a voluntary thing. And uh, Sean Spicer is one of those people who I think clearly before uh, President Trump won the election would have had very real scepticism about him and then decided to take the job and go into that administration. And the other reason I don't feel sorry for him, which came out in the tribute that Jamie put together, was these this tendency to say things like it's the largest inauguration crowd ever, a lie, you know. I mean, there's no point in glossing over that. It was, uh, he came out on the first day and lied in a way that was, you know, the, the lie was provable or, or uh, was easily revealed by the photographic evidence. So, yeah, you know. and, you know, there, there's so many things that, you know, Donald Trump says President Obama wiretapped to, to Trump Tower, you know, Donald Trump, I mean, Sean Spicer defended that, you know, mm -hmm. uh, um, Donald Trump says three to five million people voted illegally for Hillary Clinton. Right. <laughs> you know, Sean Spicer defends right. that. So he went right down the line. Yeah. Now, so isn't it interesting that after all of those humiliations, and by the way, I'm sure you saw I did, where there were times in the briefing where somebody would pop in with a little note from the mm -hmm. president and walk up to the podium and hand it to Spicer. Right. Talk about, again, a humiliation. But he put up with all of that, and the one thing that where he felt crossed the line it was a personnel matter. Was in hiring Scaramucci. Right, right. Isn't I, that strange that that was the one thing that, that the straw that broke the camel's back? So. It is, and I think it points to perhaps the um, bargain that people make uh, with themselves, assuming they're not outright Trump loyalists, which is this idea that yes, we can push all these. Uh, peculiar or on occasions just untrue claims the president makes, but we can't be personally undercut by other people coming in. Uh, in the case of Scaramucci, Scaramucci would have been above Spicer in the yeah. pecking order. Yeah. Uh, and that seems to be the real issue there. And that seems to be why there was such uh, pushback from, from Spicer and others, including Reince Priebus by all accounts, but that Spicer felt he could no longer continue in his job at that point. All right. So um, Spicer is replaced. We have, uh, uh, we know who made the announcement of a, some people pointed out that it is always, the, has always been the president who announces 
my and I was there when Obama announced that Jay Carney was going to replace uh, Robert Gibbs. It's always the president says, "Here is my new press secretary." Friday, it was not. It was made by Mr. Scaramucci. Sarah's going to be the press secretary, right? Okay, so congratulations to you, sir. Uh, and he told us uh, yesterday on uh, State of the Union, I think it was, um, what, what he what he really hopes, uh, what he's looking forward to uh, in Sarah Sanders uh, at the podium. I want to do everything I can to make her better at that podium. I think she's phenomenal there now. But like every athlete that's training for the Olympics, every day we got to make ourselves incrementally better. The only thing I ask Sarah, Sarah, if you're watching, I love the hair and makeup person that we had on Friday. So I'd like to continue to use the hair and makeup person. So believe it or not, Bill, I'm going to offer a qualified defense of Scaramucci for that. <laughs> I, I don't believe it. I <laughs> I think that was a joke about himself that came out terribly wrong because he had made that comment on Friday. I don't recall if you were in the briefing room no, on Friday when he no, was there. Yeah. But he uh, had said were he, he'd made the joke about hair and makeup as being something that he needed. And I think he was trying to sort of tell that joke again and it came off uh, terribly really yeah it you really know. did just stay away from that yeah. you know yeah you don't compliment a female reporter right. or anchor and say what i really like about it, she's got a great makeup right. artist i mean that's not why she's there and it's no, uh, no it's not uh, good but but let me ask you about the, i mean it's scaramucci what we know about him right mm. we know um, some of the things that he said about Donald Trump. He mm. said America deserves better. Mm. Uh, and we also know his background. I mean, he has his zero mm. communications background, zero communi- uh, journalistic background. And he's a hedge fund manager. So mm. here you got, you know, um, Maureen Dowd called him uh, the mogul and the mooch, right? right? You've got the billionaire who puts another Wall Street hedge fund, a hedge fund manager, mm. as his communications director. I mean, just the, the optics alone. Mm. Are very, are, are very are troubling, huh? Yeah, no, they're 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 very strange. I, I think there's all sorts of ways you can frame that. I I, I do think it's a a victory for the New York set over yes, the Washington right, set, right. A, a victory for the people whose uh, personal closeness or 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 ingratiating behavior toward the president loyalty Trump, or loyalty above everything else. Yeah, Trump's sort of Washington. I also think to your point about strategic communications, it's kind of a victory for the the TV showmen and showwomen over mm-hmm. the more backroom DC types. And it seems to me anyway that that one of the things that apparently commended uh, Scaramucci so highly to Trump was that he's quite good on TV. I mean, because that seems to be because his... Because he's feisty and he's in your, in your face and, yeah, all that kind of stuff, right? Exactly. Yeah. Trump, Trump likes that style. He does. And which I, is his style. Right, exactly. And, and it also <laughs> seems to, if you pardon the, the term Trump, more um, standard communications uh, strategy or strategic experience. Okay, well, this gets to palace intrigue, mm. but as you pointed out... Um, First of all, that uh, reportedly uh, Priebus and Steve Bannon, of all people, and Sean Spicer, the three of them together implored Donald Trump not to hire Scaramucci. Uh, Trump said, screw you, I'm going to do it anyway. Right. Uh, Spicer was Reince Priebus's pick as press secretary. Mm-hmm. Spicer resigns. Priebus previously, we know that Scaramucci was in line to be director of public liaison. He sold his company 
in order to be able to take that shot. And Priebus shot it down. Right. So now the Scaramucci is there, and Scaramucci made it clear Friday, I saw the briefing, I wasn't there, that he reports directly to the president, not to the chief of staff, mm -hmm. which everybody else does, not Scaramucci. How long is Priebus going to survive? It doesn't seem to me likely that he will survive for very much longer. Now, of course, he could hold on part of these calculations is how much humiliation you can put up with. But the sources that I speak with portray Priebus as an isolated and increasingly marginalized figure. The loss of Spicer is a, a big loss to him. One of the complaints from sort of the Scaramucci types was that the press operation would mobilize more forcibly to defend Priebus than it would to defend Trump when there was kind of palace intrigue going on. Uh, so I think it does leave Reince Priebus in a weakened position. Uh, we, we shall see. I mean, clearly there have been predictions of resignations in the White House before that have not been immediately borne out. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 there's been this ebb and flow of who's up and who's down. At one time, with Steve Bannon was out right. the door, and he's still there. Right. He's hunkered down a lot, a mm -hmm. lot, right? Priebus was out the door before. He's still there. And, you know, Spicer, same thing, right? So at Kushner, people say Kushner's on thin ice, but... By the way, Scaramucci did say yeah. this about Reince at the press briefing on Friday, and it does not sound good. Uh, we are a little bit like brothers, where we rough each other up once in a while, which is totally normal for brothers. There's a lot of people in here that have brothers, and so you get that. Uh, but he's a dear friend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sounds like how Bannon would talk about Reince Priebus. <laughs> it also talks well, about Bannon like and Reince Priebus get together against Scaramucci. Right, right. So now they've got to have both of them oppose him. And he's the communications director. Awkward, to say the least. It is. And, though, you know, as you know, Bill, the White House has been riven by factionalism from the beginning, and that has been a, a kind of running sore in this administration. It's one of the things, frankly, that has fueled so many leaks out of the administration. Scaramucci is now talking that he's going to fire anyone who leaks and all of that. But uh, we shall see. I mean, it doesn't seem to me likely to bring an end to that kind of factionalism that we've discussed many times before. Right. Um, so uh, that, that was not the only shakeup uh, at the White House. Uh, there was also a shakeup in the legal team where Mark Kasowitz, who uh, another New York, brash New Yorker, mm -hmm. was brought in by Donald Trump. Uh, again, he liked Kasowitz's style because Kasowitz didn't take any crap from the reporters. You know, that's how he saw it. Brings in Kasowitz to deal with the whole Russian issue. Uh, and yet now Kasowitz is out. Mark Carollo, who was his spokesperson, also mm -hmm. quit. Uh, and they've brought in Ty Cobb. Mm -hmm. uh, Jay Sekulow remains on the, on, on, on the scene. What, what is that? What's the significance of this? I mean, it's, it's only been two weeks or three weeks that Kasowitz was on the job. You know, mm -hmm. why changing lawyers so fast? So I emailed Kasowitz about this over the weekend, as it happens, and got a response from his office in which they claim that he is not out, but that he is taking a different role, uh, which is clearly a much more um, marginal role, although they didn't use that phrase. Now, they're portraying it as they set up a team, which includes people like Ty Cobb, who you mentioned, and mm. now that that is mm -hmm. done, they can step back. I think most people will take a rather sceptical view of that and will see it more... Kasowitz likes the spotlight. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he had the thing at the press conference, press club. He, you know, right. yeah, he, he's not a... 
And now one of the one of the things, of course, and I don't know how deeply into the weeds we want to go on this, but there was a uh, instantly infamous email exchange between Kasowitz and a man who had written to him uh, critically, and Kasowitz had responded in rather colourful mm. uh, language, and that became public, and that was he did apologise or announced that he would apologise to that to that gentleman. But I think it's interesting. People like Ty Cobb and John Dowd are much more sort of veteran Washington types. Uh, yeah. That is not a type that has had great success with President Trump for the most part. So we'll see how, how this goes. Mark Corallo definitely has resigned as the spokesperson for that legal team. And I think that, again, goes to the difficulty they have in, in driving a consistent message. Uh, my take on this, uh, for what it's worth, on the shakeup of the legal team is not so much who's in and who's out. I think the significance is that Donald Trump is building a big mm -hmm. legal defense team, obviously knowing that he could be in for some bad news from Robert Mueller. Yeah, yeah, but, no, I mean, there's no need. I mean, he calls it a witch hunt, but at the same time, mm -hmm. he would not be lawyering up if he thought there was nothing there, right? Would right. you agree? I would, and and with the people who we're talking about here, people with yeah, very deep yeah. experience of, you know, going back to no, things like the savings and loans scandals and things, mm -hmm. things like that. Um, so these are people who are steeped in um, legal cases revolving around Washington scandals, essentially. And so you don't hire those people um, at, at a, I would assume, a fairly expensive rate uh, unless you think their expertise is needed. OK, so one question that the legal team is wrestling with right now, and uh, Donald Trump tweeted about it over the weekend, um, uh, there was a report uh, don't forget New York Times, Washington Post, maybe probably also on the Hill, uh, that the president had been discussing uh, his ability to pardon those around him, maybe pardon Kushner, pardon Manafort, uh, pardon his son, maybe pardon himself. And Trump actually tweeted out, quote, while all agree the U.S. president has the complete power to pardon which implies even himself, quote, why think of that when only crime so far is leaks against us? Fake news. Now, Jay Sekulow told Jake Tapper uh, yesterday that we haven't even talked about pardons. We have not and, ha and continue to not have conversations with the president of the United States regarding pardons. Pardons have not been discussed and pardons are not on the table. Well, I think all we can learn from that is that pardons may not have been discussed with Jay Sekulow, but it's pretty clear right. that pardons have been discussed. So the question, uh, Mr. Nostanich, is can the president pardon himself? So while not a constitutional lawyer or an American <laughs> hero, as we were talking about earlier, it seems to me that he can't pardon. The, the impression I get is that he, a president cannot, cannot huh? pardon himself, that a, a president seeking to pardon himself, that, that impeachment is bigger than that and that you cannot pardon yourself preemptively from the possibility of You could of resign, as Nixon did. Exactly. To and avoid th it. Therefore, avoid the whole scenario. Um, but there are obviously lawyers who would argue to the contrary, but that is my uh, sense. The other thing that but I... Certainly. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I just want to point mm. The one thing where the president is dead wrong is... Mm while all agree. Right. It's not true. That, not, no. Lawyers do not all agree. And then Lawrence Tribe, who's mm -hmm. 
one of the greatest of American lawyers wrote mm-hmm. over the weekend, I think in the New York Times or the Post, that uh, no, the president cannot pardon himself. Right, right. The other thing that I think is interesting about the pardoning mm-hmm. issue, Bill, is that it, lawyers do almost all seem to agree that were a president to pardon other people preemptively, those people then clearly could not claim the Fifth Amendment against self-incrimination if they were required, for example, mm. to testify mm. before Congress. Mm. Because by nature, by the nature of being pardoned, you wouldn't be incriminating yourself. So there's actually an argument that where uh, Trump to preemptively pardon people, he could, in fact, increase the legal jeopardy to himself for that reason. Well, um, if it gets to that, mm. I have no doubt that Donald Trump would try to pardon himself. <laughs> uh, and maybe the Supreme Court that ends up deciding mm. that. Um, but there's another question that uh, that is parallel, which is whether or not a president of the United States can be indicted mm. for crimes. Mm-hmm. And and um, the word sort of out of the White House and some of his lawyers has been, no, he cannot because the president is um, in a category all by himself. Uh, that sort of fell apart this weekend too, didn't it? In in fascinating, yes. in a fascinating way, because the reason it fell apart was <laughs> was our old friend Ken Starr. I know, <laughs> uh, unbeknownst to pretty much everyone, it seems, right. uh, had written a very extensive memo at the time of the whole on bill, that point. On that point, uh, saying that a president could be indicted, and the argument was, I think, in short, that. Courts had already found that a civil case could be taken against a president, and that came up in the Paula Jones, Bill Clinton thing. And the the argument was if a civil case can proceed, the the population at large and the cause of justice should regard it as even more important that a president could be indicted in a criminal matter. Now, uh, I mean, this is obviously a completely fascinating scenario of an indictment of a sitting president. I, the Star Memo was arguing that the only reason I think not to go forward was was prosecutorial discretion, essentially, that you wouldn't maybe think it was um, prudent to mm-hmm. tr- seek an indictment of a sitting president, but that it was, in fact, possible to do so. Yeah, but Ken Starr's uh, um, memo, which was widely reported this weekend, uh, is, is very definitive on that subject. doesn't leave, I mean, in his mind. And I think he makes a pretty convincing case. Mm-hmm. Uh, that not even the president is above the law if there is criminal activity. Right. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure that um, Robert Mueller has read that memo. Yeah. And, we, you know, it was it was fascinating even the reasoning, one of which was, you know, if a president were to punch a heckler in the face was the example used. Most people would not see that as uh, a high crime or misdemeanor that would cause removal from office. But you can't have presidents going around punching people in the face. So therefore, they must be liable to criminal uh, indictment for that reason, to to prove that they're not above the law. It's a really interesting read, actually, by the standards of legal memos, at least. Right. So where does all of this... Uh, you, we, we spent so much... You, you made an excellent point earlier that so much of the distractions, if you will... Uh, okay, we're going to talk about... Made in America or Infrastructure Week or This Week, American Heroes. And it always gets overtaken by events. Mm -hmm. Inevitably, each one does. Um, And most of them self-inflicted wounds, as you pointed out, right? So what is all of this turmoil, the shake-up in this and the shake-up in that um, and, and all the Russian, continuing Russian stuff, 
what is the impact of that on the extent that there is any the Trump agenda? Of course, the top of the Trump agenda right now is health care. And Eliza Collins, who you had on before, spoke about that expertly, as usual. There is simply no clear way forward on that. They don't know exactly what they're going to potentially be voting on this week. But the broader point is that these distractions do use up a lot of the oxygen in the room that might otherwise go to the Trump agenda. They clearly drive uh, Republicans on Capitol Hill crazy because they find it um, distracting and uh, just a major problem. And there seems no obvious possibility that that will change anytime soon. Donald Trump is Donald Trump. He's a 70-year-old man. He has apparently behaved in the way he behaves for most of his adult life. So I don't see any real chance of that changing even as they do bring in Scaramucci as a communications director or shake up the legal team. In fact, it seems the opposite to me that Scaramucci is there to um, not to rein in Donald Trump, but mm-hmm. to let loose Donald Trump. I mean, he said he, this, this, this expression that I saw over the weekend that I thought, oh, no, this is not the way to go, is we need to let the president express his own personality. Right, right. Well, yeah, that's the problem, right? <laughs> I mean... How many tweets over the weekend? There were like 25 or more. I don't know. He's tweeting this morning, and it's the same stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, that the Russian thing is, the the whole question of the Russian thing is only to try to delegitimize my presidency, Mm -hmm. that they shouldn't be investigating me. They shouldn't be investigating Hillary's emails. I mean, Mm -hmm. Jesus, how many many investigations do we have of Hillary's email? How many hearings? FBI investigate? I mean, you know, I mean, he he keeps, he's in that... Rut. And again this morning, he says, no, don't drain the swamp, drain the sewer. It's worse than you thought. Fake news. You know, it's just. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think Scaramucci seems to be one of so, the people who sort of aims to facilitate Donald Trump and has has risen within I mean, he's Trump's an ena- orbit. An enabler, as we right. call it, right? I right. mean, I think in that extent, yeah. I think so. And I think that that could uh, obviously cause exactly the kind of problems you just outlined. And that, and now, on the other hand, the people who've tried to restrain Trump have not really had any success. I don't know whether it matters. Uh, uh, you no. Know. We, we all, some people said that Melania was going to do that. Mm. When she moved in, once she moved in... It'll all calm down. That's all calmed down because, mm. you know, she'd be there alongside him and say, you know, Donnie, right, or at least she could distract him Put down something. the phone is what everybody thought she was going to do. Tell him to put down the phone. Yeah, yeah. right. And he hasn't. Clearly... Uh, has not done so. No, no. hasn't worked out so right. well. Uh, and that also leads to the issue of um, Russian sanctions, which I'm going to just mention and put a little hold on that because uh, you and I, Niall, are going to be joined by the one and only Joe uh, Cirincioni from the Plowshares Fund, who just got back from uh, the Aspen Institute Fantastic. meeting, uh, where there was a lot of discussion among our former intelligence uh, officers about... Um, Donald Trump's doubts that the Russians really still doubting sure. that the Russians had anything to do with hacking into our elections. Uh, Niall Stanish here with us, all of you, and Joe Cirincione joining us next. So stay tuned for another great half hour here on the Bill Press Show this Monday, July 24. Here's what I tell you about the president. He's the most competitive person I've ever met. Okay, I've seen this guy throw a dead spiral through a tire. I've seen him at Madison Square Garden with a top coat on. He's standing in the key and he's hitting foul shots and swishing them okay he sinks three foot putts same great show new great channel stream live video at youtube.com slash the bill press show
live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. All right, on a Monday, July 24, yes, it is The Bill Press Show, coast to coast, all part of the Young Turks Network. Looking at you on Free Speech TV, joining on YouTube, YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show, and, of course, on the great WCPT out in Chicago, and we are uh, coming to you from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, brought to you today by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, the UF's great men and women of the UFCW. They're the ones that you see and meet uh, and uh, enjoy the services of every time you go out shopping for groceries and all of our great grocery retail markets. Uh, the UFCW members under President um, Mark Perano. Uh, and we uh, salute them, thank them for the support of the program uh, and um, the good work that they do. As we mentioned, fresh from uh, Niall, you came a long distance today, you know, to do the show from the other side of Washington yes, D.C. Yes. But you know, <laughs> Joe gets surprised today. Joe Sirianni flew in from Asp- Aspen, Aspen, Colorado. Colorado, yes. Where it is considerably less sweaty. <laughs> Good. <laughs> well, welcome back to the second sweatiest city in the United States. Obviously, you're listening to Jamie. Joe Benson watches the earlier. entire show, by I the do. way. I, I love every this morning. Show. This is the thinking person's morning show. The, 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 the conversation, the analysis, the, nobody can touch it. Joe, you get the, Joe, you get the double All prize. Right, show's this over. Morning. We go home. Speechless. I'm right. going for the, the tweet from the Bill Bragg. Oh, yeah, right. Doris, Doris. Now, what was the headline in Aspen? Huh? Tell us. Oh, the headline was um, was former director Brennan, former director Clapper, two heads of the CIA and director of national intelligence, just ripping the Trump administration up one side and down the other. There were many, many, many. This was the Aspen Security Forum, a four-day event with top administration officials, uh, congressional leaders, press, a few wonks let in like me. But it was Clapper and Brennan that said the one that, that, that just ripped at him from day one, from, the, from uh, their, their outrage at what Trump said at the wall at the CIA. It says it's, it's like going to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, said Clapper, and giving this kind of political speech and making this kind of self-promotional speech. It was, it was, it was Clapper saying things that it, sometimes it seems more like it's make Russia great again, you know, something like this. The, they're talking about the stream Whoa. of lies coming out, the, the degradation of the intelligence community. Remember, comparing the intelligence community to Nazis. Yeah. I mean, these guys were just defending the intelligence community against what they saw as the, 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 the falsehoods, the, the fabrication, saying things like that the meetings that we're hearing about between Trump and Putin makes you wonder what's going on behind closed doors. Things like that. Things like that. And that, that was that was the highlight, and it stunned people. The forum will probably be remembered in the years to come just for that session. Well, and let's remember, we're talking about James Clapper and John Brennan, uh, neither of whom are you know, partisan political operatives. No, have served multiple presidents in both parties. I think uh, Clapper may have served eight presidents. It's unbelievable how, many, how long these guys have been around. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a little sound from uh, James uh, Brennan, who is saying, or uh, uh, um, John, John Brennan, Brennan yeah. uh, that were the president to, as has been hinted, might even uh, yes. fire uh, yes. Robert Mueller. Uh, 
having said that he wished he had not appointed Jeff Sessions, uh, uh, Mr. Brennan is saying that would be that would be kind of it. If he's fired by Mr. Trump or attempted to be fired by Mr. Trump, I hope, I really hope that our members of Congress, our elected representatives, are going to stand up and say enough is enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mike Rogers was also there, of course, former yes. uh, CIA director, right? Or wasn't he CIA? CIA director, yes. Yeah. Who um, talked about this idea um, that Donald Trump is still saying. We're not, he's not really sure that Russia is the one that hacked into our election. Here's Mike Rogers. No doubt at all, and I stand behind the intelligence, intelligence community assessment that we produced in January. I was part of that process. Yeah. That's current NSA director. It's oh, a member of Trump's cabinet. I'm sorry. Confirming. Oh. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> the Mike Rogers. Yes, sorry. Thank sorry, you. Sorry, yes. Yeah. There's two this Mike Rogers. Anyway, so this yeah. is Mike Rogers. Yes, thank you very much. Yes. I mean, so, there, so there, I don't remember how many, but maybe six, seven current officials, top from the intelligence communities, to ending with the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Yeah. Every single one of them was asked about the Russia intelligence. Every single one of them said, yes, this happened. There's no doubt about it. And so it's absolutely stunning to hear statements from Scar- Scaramucci just on Sunday saying the president hasn't determined yet mm-hmm. what happened. And he, Scaramucci, can't tell yet because he personally hasn't seen the evidence. And there's no no doubt whatsoever in the intelligence community and in the president's top national security officials that Russia did this, that this is a grave threat, uh, and that it has to be stopped. And was there much did, – did people speculate as to why Trump continues to raise – doubts about what they consider to be a proven fact of Russian involvement, or did they stay away from speculating as to his motivations there? None of the sitting officials mm. would, would touch that question right. uh, whatsoever. But, but what you had were people outside the administration, like Adam Schiff, who's been on this show many times, you know, t- t- talking about Trump's m- motives as, as you know, con- that clearly Russia has something on Trump. It went like, it was more like that. What is it? The need to investigate, the need to understand, the need to look at his financial records, mm. which gets you directly to the Mueller probe looking at his financial records in order to try to understand this hold that Russia has on the president of the United States, which gets you right to the issue of, of the possible forced uh, firing of Mueller by Trump, as he seemed to hint at over the last couple of days. Right. And this also, um, which has come out, is that another aspect of, is that Trump believes that any questioning of Russia's role or mm-hmm. any talk about Russia's role undermines the legitimacy of his win. Yes. And that the only yes. reason anybody is raising this issue is because they're, they're, you know, they didn't want him to win and they don't accept his winning and it's all Hillary inspired, basically. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. But it we does talk about seem paranoid. To, it does seem to be deeper than that. Yeah, because yeah. he doesn't. It's the one country, the one leader that he, that he doesn't criticize at all, which gets. Which, and you were talking earlier on the show about this gets to the dilemma he has with the Russia sanctions bill and whether he, whether he signs it or not. Right. Right. Uh, and and also gets to what Niall and I were talking about just before you came in that this lawyering up. Right. Oh, yeah. He keeps adding lawyers and bigger and bigger lawyers, yeah. which it seems to me he would not be doing unless he knew that there was, as yes. Adam Schiff indicated, and you just pointed out, maybe some 
dirt there or some contacts there, some business ties there, maybe some business loans or whatever that haven't come out, right. that yeah. he knows eventually is going to come out. And to that point, it was interesting that the thing that really seems to have sparked his most intense uh, rage against Mueller were these reports that he Mueller was looking into his finances, yes, yes, yes. right? And that uh, places like Deutsche Bank were going to furnish Mueller with yes. financial records pertaining to, to Trump. I had initially thought that the reason Trump has such objection to that is because he may be worth less than he says. But I was also speaking last week to Timothy O'Brien, who you may or may not have uh, spoken to in the show. He wrote a biography of Trump many years ago. His argument is that there are a number of projects in which rather unsavory connections mm -hmm. were involved in certain Trump projects. And uh, could that be the reason why any probe into his finances meets with such a kind of enraged reaction? Yes. And I tell you, the sense, just while we're still on the Aspen Security yep. Forum, the sense you got from the sitting members who were there, including Republicans like uh, House Armed Services Committee Chairman Thornberry, people who have looked a little into this but aren't can't say publicly, is is a, a sense of deep concern, a sense that there is something there. This isn't just puffery. No, we're not barking up the the, the wrong trail. And then you and then that this this sense, even though an Aspen Security Forum, you know, it's sponsored by a lot of defense contractors, is a general um, emphasis on the threats we face. By the second day, you had this palpable sense of constitutional crisis, of people seized with the, the, the historic moment that we're in, and, and people like Adam Schiff saying that we're locked in a great ideological struggle, not, not mm. capitalism versus communism, but authoritarianism versus democracy and representative government. And he's not just talking about the struggle abroad between the United States and other countries. He's talking about the struggle w w within. And Schiff says, if Trump fires Mueller, it would be a disaster provoking a national crisis. And then Brennan says that, and this is the, the really the money quote to me, that it is the responsibility of executive branch officials to refuse to carry out mm. some of these orders. Right. Talk That's about right. the clash. Yeah. The, 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 you know, the responsibility not to execute an illegal order. He doesn't even say that. Some of these orders. And you can feel, you know, the sort of establishment, a national security leadership trying to build a wall, trying to build a wall to, 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 to not let Trump take down the core institutional structures of the United States. We're, we're really talking Elliot Richardson, yes. William Ruckel's house days. Yes. And, and clearly it's Mueller. This is it. You try to fire him, forget it. It's, it's to the barricades. So what does that say about Jeff Sessions after Trump's comments uh, that uh, he wished he'd never hired the son of a bitch? <laughs> yeah, You're I'm, paraphrasing I'm, I'm slightly, Bill. <laughs> slightly paraphrasing, yes. <laughs> well, if I had known. Uh, I mean, you know, the, the idea that Sessions well, should have somehow told him in advance that he might recuse himself and that therefore Trump no. wouldn't have offered him the job is a very, very bizarre um, idea. It's interesting not to take us off on a tangent about the Sessions matter, but James Comey, when he testified, was very clear that he believed before Sessions recusal that that recusal was going to take place. And people were speculating as to why he was so definitive on that point. And I think now we're seeing these reports that, that Sessions did, in fact, discuss the Trump 
campaign with uh, Sergei Kislyak, the Russian yeah. ambassador, I, I think that whole picture is becoming clearer or, or we're getting to see more details of that. Well, picture. you wonder whether if, if Trump wanted to fire Mueller, I guess he could fire him directly or mm-hmm. we'd have to ask Sessions to fire him. Do we know? If he wants to fire Mueller, no, he has to ask Rosenstein. Rosenstein. Okay. He's, cause, so, because right. he's recu- because recused himself, it's himself. the deputy attorney That's general. That's right. Okay. And Rosenstein has so says he's not going to do that. So there's the question, you know, would Rosenstein carry that right. order out? Exactly. Right. Or then if he wants to fire Rosenstein, I imagine Sessions would have to do that. Would Sessions carry that order out? We could be getting to this, I'm, my point is getting to this constitutional crisis. Yes. More rapidly than any of us thought possible. Exactly. We're six months in, and we're talking about this, lawyering up, subpoenas, senior officials are testifying, possible indictments. Six months in. Right. And in terms of the Russian connection, so I, 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 I must say I was on, and I meant to do some research on this over the weekend, and I did not, so I'm going to put you guys on the spot. But I was on MSNBC Saturday morning with Thomas Roberts, who was the anchor, and he was talking in the section before I came on about well, Donald Trump, we know he hasn't really told all the truth about this. He said that he has no business ties in Russia, and yet there is a Trump Tower in Baku or Baku, which Azerbaijan, yes, which is part of Russia. Um, well, it's, Ra- an, it's an independent it? republic. Um, uh, uh, it's not exactly part of okay. Russia, but all it's right. real close. Yeah, it was it was certainly part of the Soviet Union, but it is an independent republic. All right, okay. Yeah. So, and do they speak Russian? Azerbaijan, <laughs> I think they speak Azerbaijani, actually. Whatever. But but, but he yeah, was but making the close. point that there is a Trump Tower there. There's yeah. a business. It is a Russian business. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Now this is the thing uh, you see. That oh, I know why. He did because it with the Russian firm. He did it with <laughs> yes. this Russian fa- firm. <laughs> yes, the Moscow guy. <laughs> yes, that's who right. Who sent the lawyer to yeah. meet with Donald Trump Jr. Yes, and then he sent his own representative, yeah, who was right. the eighth man mm-hmm. or person. Right. In in the meeting, the, so the map connecting yeah. these features is getting more and more yeah, complex. That was that was what Thomas Roberts was saying. Yeah. But, but this is a Russian deal with a Russian yes, firm, yes. and they built this hotel in Azerbaijan, so that Trump, in effect, does have a yeah. Russian business. Yeah. Right. Well, also to your point about the the now infamous meeting with Donald Trump Jr., the father of that pop star, who's the same person that we're talking about, yeah, right. was, was also the guy who brought the Miss Universe pageant yes. to Russia in 2013. And I believe uh, I'm correct in saying that Donald Trump was paid a very significant licensing fee because he owned the rights to, to Miss Universe to bring that pageant there. So there are it's not accurate to say there are no Russian links between Trump uh, with, with the Trump business empire. The question is whether those are um, unsavory or, or worse mm-hmm. than that, or mm-hmm. whether they are comparatively innocent. Yeah. So what is this, what is, how is this all reflected, Joe and Nile, in the question about the Russian sanctions bill, which we know Donald Trump did not want. Yes. And yet the Senate passed 98 to 2. Right. So th- this is a bill that's almost impossible for him not to sign. But as, as you were pointing out earlier in the show, this is such a dilemma for him because this, this, you could consider this a major piece of legislation. These are serious sanctions. This is global economic um, Maybe re- the first piece of major legislation passed under this administration. Yes, and it's an anti-Trump legislation. By a Republican Congress. Because the, Rep- the Russian part of this 
is stopping the president from lifting sanctions. It's putting limitations on the power of the presidency. The other two parts of it are North Korea and Iran are, are more, more traditional, somewhat un- unnecessary in my view. The Iran section is completely unnecessary and could be damaging, but people worked hard behind the scenes to, to uh, make sure that this didn't actually violate the nuclear accord. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is nearly unanimous agreement that we have to keep the nuclear accord with uh, with with Iran, nearly unanimous. The, the part that's not unanimous is in the White House, but everybody else in this in this city pretty much thinks you have to keep it. Yeah. Um, and and this what this poses the dilemma because now if he signs this, I mean this stuff is really going to hurt Russian banks, Russian uh, energy sector. In fact, it's so biting that our EU partners are concerned about this that it's going to impact some of their energy deals, uh, natural gas pipelines, for example, that Europe is building with Russia. If I could just get in there briefly as well, Bill, I do think that the sanctions bill speaks to a distrust of Trump, Mm -hmm. even among Republicans. I mean, the the basic impetus of this is to say the president cannot lift sanctions on Russia without us having some sort of oversight of that. You don't, as a Republican Congress, pass that kind of bill unless you think the president may have some dubious motivation to do that in the first place. I mean, that, that's the whole purpose of it. So it's sort of, I, I saying, we don't, it's sort of saying we don't trust you. Right. Yeah, and it reflects the fight inside the Republican Party, which, mm. you know, traditionally has been very anti-Russian, very mm-hmm. anti-Soviet, and Trump has turned it into at least half of the party into a pro-Russian party. And you see that on Fox News, the kinds of commentators they on, uh, t- and, Tucker Carlson, right? Carl. Yeah, yeah. Carl, his, his, you know, defense of Russia, his almost swoon over over Putin. You see that that very Trumpian influence in the party. But when it comes to the core uh, Republican uh, legislative uh, uh, branch, these guys are still anti-Russian, still very suspicious. And are, are, are worried that Donald Trump will give away the store. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. Right. But we have a Siberian candidate in the White House. Uh, yeah. Which he already gave away the store in the sense of, um, I don't know whether you and I have had a chance to talk about this yet, uh, of uh, the uh, um, assistance that we were providing in Syria to the opponents oh, of yes. Bashar al-Assad. Yes, yes. And Putin said, no, we don't like that. You know, you ought to stop that. And we did. Yeah. Trump has basically sort of ceded um, large what happens in Syria over to the Russians, including the the, the, the ceasefire, which is a good thing, but it's in a part of Syria where that allows basically Russia and Iran and Assad forces to consolidate, build up military bases, build, a, um, build up their forces. And now he's ended the aid to some of the, the, the anti-Assad Syrian rebels. Right. Joe, you mentioned uh, the Iran nuclear deal, um, which Donald Trump promised he was going to jettison, right, day one, right? Yes. First, we're going to repeal Obamacare, yes, yes, then we're yes, going to yes. jettison maybe Paris yes. first and then Iran first, one or the other. But didn't the administration, in effect, say, admit that Iran is uh, living up to the deal and we're going to continue with it, right? Yes, but reluctantly. So there's a sub-story here. So number one, on the facts, it's undeniable that Iran is complying with the deal. They tore down two-thirds of their nuclear infrastructure. They're agreeing to the inspections. They haven't violated any provisions. There's been some issues. Sometimes they've gotten a few tons over their production limits on something, but then adjusted. But, but, but everybody agrees, from the International Atomic Energy Agency to the National Security uh, uh, 
establishment of the United States. This is certified. Yes, they are in compliance. So therefore, the Donald Trump, as required by Congress when they mm-hmm. when they pass legislation on this, every 90 days he has to certify that Iran is in compliance. Mm. So his national security team walks into the office on Monday or Tuesday, Secretary of State, uh, National Security Advisor, Secretary of Defense, and they say, Mr. President, here's the certification. They issued, a, they're going to have a little press announcement around 11 a.m. No, says the president. He doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want to certify. He hates this deal. Now, why does he hate this deal? Maybe it's part of his anti-Obama. I'm tearing down Obama's legacy. I'm pulling out of his Paris Accord, his environmental legacy. I want to kill his major domestic achievement, health care. I want to kill his major foreign policy achievement, the Iran deal. He says no. After a, 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 a day of struggle, they finally say, you know, he finally agrees to certify it. But it mm. looks like this mm. might be the last time. So we could be heading for a real crisis in 90 days, mid-October. And Trump, as the foreign policy reported on Friday, has set up a special group inside the White House to make the case for not verifying. And this is is reminiscent of Cheney and Rumsfeld and Steve Cambone and the Department of Defense and the buildup to the Iraq war. They're going to cherry pick the intelligence. They're going to create a false narrative. They're going to make the case for why we should pull out. This is a crisis that's now been set in motion by, by Trump's hatred for the deal, for Obama, and his, his dogged belief that he can create his own reality. And now he's got a team of people in the White House that are going to do it for him. Whoa, that's scary. So the, this, this uh, uh, the, we, we ducked the bullet this time, basically. Yes, yes. But, it's, 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 but they've it's, set that in motion. And, and, you know, editorial opinion in this country is unanimously in favor of the deal. You could read USA Today or, or LA Times. All people warning about this crisis that's coming and how foolish this is, how isolated this would be, how anti, how against U.S. national security interests it is, but it's coming. Uh, I haven't seen that reported anywhere. No, um, I haven't either. I was fascinating listening to it. I haven't seen that. Oh, it's reported. a foreign policy magazine which used to just do think pieces. It's really got an investigative core, so you can go up to foreign policy or you can read the L.A. Times from uh, from uh, two days ago with the USA Today editorial from yesterday. Because there's no doubt that Donald Trump would love to pull the plug on the Iran nuclear deal the yes. same way he did on Paris. And uh, it just may take him a little longer to get there, yes. I guess is what you're saying. And he was furious with Tillerson, apparently, for not building the case for this. And so, by the way, there's a sub-story here. Tillerson looks uh, weaker and weaker. I was just going to ask you, do we have a State Department today? It's a ghost ship uh, over on C Street. Uh, it's none of the senior positions have been filled, which is a disgrace. So if you're dealing, you're worried about the North Korea crisis, hmm, maybe it'd be nice to have an ambassador to South Korea. I was on a panel at Aspen two days ago with the South Korean ambassador to the United States. They've taken care of their side. We don't have an ambassador to South Korea. We don't have an assistant secretary for Near East. Uh, or, uh, we don't have a, a DOD official for this. So this, this, the State Department is just is empty. And Tillerson sort of a strong, you know, Hollywood casting type turns out to be very weak um, at odds with the president, um, sort of setting his own course, not paying attention to the basic care and feeding of the of our diplomatic corps. I've been told by my sources at the State Department that Tillerson doesn't want to staff up. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't Mm. he doesn't want to like a full compliment of you, you senior staff. Here, but it's, it's yeah. sort of this, this you, you get that view I, against I the deep state. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's the view against the deep state. I also think it's a, it seems to me from people I speak to, a, a lack of belief in the power of diplomacy yes. itself. I, yes. I'm not sure about to what extent this administration really believes in 
those kind of soft power moves and tactics. I think certainly Donald Trump's view seems to be much more black and white and you're either for us or against us to draw another right. comparison. So, so, so all these aid programs that we have, they're really mm. insignificant. This is sort of the the on Ron, am I saying her name right? Mm. You know, view of the, the great, great men mm. make deals. Yeah. And this is how we do things. And so even Nikki Haley was delighted that they cut 600 staffers from the UN Peace Corps, mm. the peacekeeping force, and we're just getting started. She said that's their view okay. of but the Joe, national... It's not an entire ghost ship. We do have an ambassador to the Vatican. <laughs> <laughs> Callista, she's on the job. Joe, thank you for coming My in. My pleasure. All thank right, you. great to see you. Joe Sirisoni, Niall Stanis, thank you both. Have a great day, folks. Show.